Great. So as we saw in that video, natural justice tells us that it's wrong to show favouritism. Uh, to Whether that's saving a seat for somebody in church because they're rich and have gold rings, uh, or only allowing some people to have the ketchup, or the guy can go up the escalator but the girl can't. Uh, we, we know deep in our soul that things like that are wrong. Uh, it's wrong to give some people better treatment than others just because of how they appear. Now, if you're not convinced about this, try this experiment at home. Gather a small group of three-year-olds and sit them down in a group. Give one child an ice cream and then to all the others say, oh, I'm sorry, you don't get one today. See how that works out for you. Even children know that favouritism is wrong. Now, if we think bigger than that, can you imagine how many problems in our world, in our city, in our families, in our community would be fixed if we simply as people were capable of not showing favouritism? War, theft, famine, violence, and, and many other kinds of ways in which people behave badly to other people stem back to an idea that one person is better or more deserving than another. No wonder that James, the writer of this book in the Bible, puts it like this. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. He goes on to say this, that if we show favouritism, we are separating God's people and it makes us into evil judges or discriminators. Now, of course, the story that we heard of the rich man and the poor man coming to church, one is saved a seat and one is not, we might not get that one wrong. But do we in our society get it wrong in other ways? If we buy clothes that were made in a sweatshop in another country, we're saying some children deserve an education and others should work from a young age. Why is it that a black person in London is three times more likely to be arrested than a white person? Why is it that if you live in the South but have a Northern accent, on average your pay will be 10% lower? True story. Why is it that if you live in, say, Blackpool, your life expectancy is 11 years lower than if you lived in Chelsea in London? Now, the word favouritism used in our reading there uh, could be translated as receiving a person's face. To see a person, to look upon them, and to decide how you feel about them or how God feels about them. And I see you, and I judge you, and I assess you, Because I am an imperfect person. And it's massive within the common human condition to assess people by what we think of them, how they appear, and our perception of who they are. Now James gives us two reasons why not to show favouritism. And the the first is in verse 5. He says this, Hasn't God chosen 
people who look poor in the eyes of the world to inherit the kingdom of God? And the answer is, yes, he has. God has chosen all people, regardless of whether they are rich or poor in earthly means, to be equal inheritors of his kingdom. The church that James is writing to were failing to see that the poor were defined more by who God saw them to be than their outward evident circumstances. And if we discriminate, then we are not just being unfair to them, but we're failing to recognise the new ordering of society that comes as a consequence of following Jesus. Jesus died for rich, for poor, and for any other ways in which we might categorise or divide people, male or female, northern accent, southern accent, any other way in which people might be divided or separated, Jesus died for all people equally alike, not because of who they are, but because of his love and their great need. The second reason for why we shouldn't show favoritism, James gives us it in verse 8, and he calls it the royal law of God. And it says this, love others as you love yourself. And Jesus in the Gospels refers to this idea, love other people as you love yourself. He says it's the second of the two great commandments which summarise all of the law of God. Imagine that. Think on that for a minute. The idea that we don't show favouritism is half of all of God's teaching in the Bible. Wow. This is an important truth for us to get right. Let me read to you a quote from Tim Keller who says this. Our compassion for the poor, our desire to see justice done, our drive to reconcile the world to him... Our feeding of the hungry, clothing of the poor, comforting of the sick, welcoming of the foreigner and visiting those in prison is a profound response to all that we have received from God. Even when they are dirty and broken, deserving of their state, seemingly to blame, unlovable, undeserving and ungrateful because that is exactly how we were when God lavished his love love on us. Our response then is a right and fitting response to the grace that we have received. Our lack of response is indicative of a lack of understanding of the grace that we have received. A full understanding of God's grace compels us to respond in kind to those around us. Not doing so demonstrates that we have not fully grasped God's grace Towards us. James hits this one hard. He's saying if a person's grasped the understanding of God's grace in their heart, then they will do justly to other people. And if a person doesn't live justly and they say they're grateful, and then they may say that they are that they've received God's grace, but their deeds are saying that their heart is distant from God. If, they, if a person doesn't care about the poor or discriminates in the example given between the rich and the poor, you have a special seat in our church, could you wait at the back? Then it reveals at best that we don't understand 
the grace that we've received. And at worst, that we've not really encountered the love of God ourselves. God's grace makes us just towards other people. Now James has led us in this half section of this chapter uh, on a journey that's beyond just being kind-hearted to people. Uh, That we should strive to see all people, um, not by their face, but by the gospel. But the commandment to not show favouritism is an impossible one. It's, It's an ideal that we can aim towards, but it's one that I think none of us can fully attain. Now we could at this point be left feeling condemned. But James ended his little section with these incredible words. Verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So so he's called us to account over the gospel, uh, living out the consequence that we should love other people as ourselves. He's given the reason Jesus has received our face. We're loved by God, not because of how good we are, but because of how good we are not. And if on that basis we're accepted by God, then we're called and empowered to accept others by the same measure. And then he leaves us with this final powerful idea. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How could I tell somebody the message of Jesus? Well, there are lots of different ways. Uh, There are words that I could say. There are truths in the Bible that we could read and discover. But one way, says James, is to show mercy. James wants us to know that we can all act like God. The same power that God wields when he shows mercy upon a person to whom judgment is due is in our hands in our mouths and in our deeds and actions. A person that hasn't found God is is technically under judgment, but mercy triumphs over judgment. A, A person whose life is in a mess and they are reaping the consequences, the judgment of their choices, is under judgment. But mercy triumphs over judgment. A person that comes to church or or anywhere else thinking that life is arranged and structured by how we look is living out the spirit of judgment. But mercy triumphs over judgment. The people listening to James are not just being pulled up on their community values. They are being commissioned to change the world By showing mercy through acts that are as simple as saying, welcome to our church, we've saved a special seat just for you. Feel the love of God.